episode of the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can reach me on Twitter at underscore James Vickers. I'm a Preston North End fan, and I write for a Preston North End fan blog, which is at Deepdale Digest. Hi, I'm Russ Goldman. I'm the host of Cottage Talk. It's a podcast all about Fulham Football Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and also at the show Twitter page, which is Cottage Talk. Hello, my name is Louis Shackshaft. I represent Sheffield Wednesday on the podcast. Uh, I do a lot of freelance writing, mainly regarding Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, I'm big on Wednesday statistics also, and you can catch me on Twitter. It's just my name, at Louis Shackshaft. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. Uh, We'll start with you first, Russ. Um, You know, you had a decent draw with us last time out at Craven Cottage, so you were looking to sort of build on the momentum from that, especially scoring the last-minute equaliser. You had a tricky looking away trip to uh, Aston Villa on paper. Um, talk us through the week and how the game went. It's very interesting because uh, I felt like a, it was a little bit of deja vu to when Fulham played Aston Villa last season. The one thing that I've learned about Aston Villa is that they are extremely an opportunistic team. Uh, if you make a mistake, they are going to punish you. And that happened to Fulham in this match. And it was, uh, it was disappointing because if you look at the statistics and you see the possession, it is so in favor of Fulham, but as we know, guys, it's not about the possession. It's about scoring goals, and it's about the opportunities and putting shots on, on target, and uh, uh, Aston Villa were extremely opportunistic in the way that they played. They, they scored their first goal on a set piece. John Terry scored on a header, and they're up 1-0, and uh, Fulham had some opportunities before that, but that, they, that set the pace, and then they started with the high press, and the one thing that we were talking off air, I was sharing with you guys, it really started in the Preston North End match. Teams that that play Fulham should high-press us because we are struggling to figure out how to deal with it. Well, Aston Villa did that. And uh, it's funny because I think the high-press indirectly uh, led to the first goal from Aston Villa. And we look so nervous when teams are pressing us like this. And we, we, we kept bringing the ball back to Button, and Jokanovic doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to find a way through it, and and they're really struggling, and they, they look intimidated out there. And that's the one thing that I noticed in this match. I looked at a team, Aston Villa, that uh, knows how to win. They, they do the things that you need to do to win a match, and Fulham can do that as well, but they are a slave to their style. I guess is the best way to say it. They, they are hell-bent to play in a certain way, and uh, teams know that, and they are forcing them to try to play a different way, and they're not willing to do that, and that's causing some of the issues that they're having. Um, we did get the equalizer to make it 1-1 at the end of the first half. In the second half, they they scored the early goal to go up 2-1, to one, and uh, basically defensively, they, they just held on very strongly. I shouldn't even say held on. They, they played very strongly in the second half. We had a great opportunity to get the equalizer, but um, their goalkeeper stood up very well, and uh, we go down two to one. And it was—it's very frustrating because it's a match that that was there for them, but it was there for them last season. And uh, to get promoted to to get to the playoffs, or dare I say, automatic promotion, these are the matches you need to win, not just draw. You need to win, and Aston Villa did that, and Fulham did not. Yeah, you mentioned there, obviously, about Fulham playing that that one way. You've sort of looking at the table, had the second joint most draws, same as Preston. 
yeah. this season. Is is that something that's concerning you? Is is there a change that needs to be made there to see you sort of turn these draws into wins? It's starting to. It's funny because uh, Louie, who's also on the show, told me this a year ago that, that the draws can really hurt you at, at some point, and it's starting to concern me. Some of the draws, you, you know, you, you get the late goals. It's good, but it's still in the end. You want these victories, and, and uh, it, is start, it is starting to be a little bit worrisome that we are drawing all these matches, uh, giving up late goals, and, and, and it is something that Fulham need to rectify. The big issue Fulham are dealing with right now, I believe, is injuries, and the biggest injury is Tom Kearney. Tom Kearney is still coming back from a knee injury, and in this match, uh, Savisa brought him on for the last 30 minutes, and uh, unfortunately, until he is fully fit, Fulham are just not going to be the finished product, not going to be the free flowing football we're used to seeing from them. Um, they really need him. They need him at his level, and uh, he's just not there right now because he, he's still dealing with this knee injury. So that's the worrying part is that, one, we play a certain way, and, and, and that's just how we're going to do it, and, B, we're dealing with these injuries. Yeah, I definitely think when Kenny comes back, that'll that'll help make the difference for you and I think hopefully so. turn some yeah. of these draws into wins, as you said. Um, we'll move on to you now, Louis. Obviously, last weekend it was sort of a really disappointing loss away at Bolton, two-one. Uh, you had a, a sort of difficult looking away game against Derby County this weekend. Um, sort of talk us through the week and, and how it's gone. Well, yeah, starting with Bolton, obviously it, it was just very concerning losing to Bolton. Who you know, I mean, I predicted that Wednesday would actually win that game 2-0 and again, we we were very, very disappointing and, and, and we've lost, but even moving into the Derby game, it's it's difficult to express my feelings because obviously going into the game, I think, you know, we need to start winning games now and I think most teams generally would probably go to Derby and be happy with a point, but, you know, inevitably after four minutes, it was practically game over. Um, so, like I said, it's difficult to have an opinion as such because Derby potentially could have run out three, four, five nil winners, and I'm happy that the you know they only won out two nil two, two winners because um, basically, off, obviously, Leuven's got sent off after after four minutes. Um, that Vidra scored the penalty, and it was just simply the worst possible start. And when you go down to ten men and you've conceded a penalty after four minutes, then as you can gather, it's it's ultimately game over. And and to be honest, Sheffield Wednesday, even though they were you know down to ten men for eight six minutes, really did show some willing. Um, it, the only disappointing thing from that was we didn't have any shots on target, but we did have eleven shots in total. Um, Fletcher potentially could have had a penalty, had an appeal, and I think it was a penalty. I think he was slightly pushed, and that would have brought the game back to one wall, if, one one if we'd have converted it, obviously. Um, but you know, Derby still created the chances, and and, and rightly so. Um, but like I said, I was just happy that we didn't lose four or five nil, uh, to be honest. But you know, a defeat's a defeat, whether you lose one nil or five nil, and and we've got five points from a possible eighteen now, so. Like I said, after the Bolton game, that that was more concerning, and, and and things still are a concern. It's just I think with the Derby game, ultimately with what happened, with Leuven's getting sent off after four minutes, it's it's one of them games you just have to brush aside and say, look, we got beat, and, and we move on from that. Even though there was possibly not even a chance of 
coming away with a point that day. Yeah, obviously you mentioned about the the five points from the possible eighteen there, and we covered it last week on the show. There's sort of quite a lot of pressure on Carvajal at the moment. Do you think he's still the right man for the job, and do you expect him to take you further up the table, sort of coming into the winter months now? You know, a lot of people have asked me this question at the moment. I know we've talked about it in the past, and my answer is now. I how do I put it? Something's got to change, and I don't necessarily. It could be Carvajal. If it's not Carvajal, it's something else. And by something else, the only thing I can suggest is the tactics. And something, like I say, has to change. Like he's, if he's going to change something, like we've just talked about, with Russ talking about, it's no good picking up draws. Well, it's same for us. And at the minute, we're not even getting draws. We're, we're losing a lot of games, and especially for a team like us, who were tipped to be, you know, potentially a top top three team in this league and and you know top six worst case scenario we're, we're sat in 16th position and we we've just got to simply start going for the win every single game whoever we play whether it's home away so-called good teams so-called bad teams in inverted commas we, we've just got to go for the wins and and like I say something is going to give at some point and the only thing that will happen is that Carvajal will eventually get sacked whether that's next week or if things continue after you know in the new year I, I don't know but something has simply got to change like you've just said James five points from a possible 18 is a disaster in what I would call one of the most basically we had a run of fixtures that on paper and I know it's difficult to say on paper but there were Decent fixtures to play, like home against Sheffield United, away at Bolton, away at Birmingham. You know, yes, we beat Leeds and we look very good against Leeds, but that's the only decent performance we've had since we beat, as Russ knows, Fulham at Craven Cottage. So, like I say, it's something has got to change. Whether he's the right man, then, you know, he's, I'm sure he's only got a, a handful more games to prove that. Um, but, you know... Only one man can make that decision, and that's the chairman. So it's it for me. It's just a waiting game to see what decision he makes. Yeah, definitely. I think it will be interesting to sort of see how the results go over the next few weeks, and and sort of what situation presents itself uh, in regards to Carvajal. Um, but sort of moving on to Preston, obviously we covered last week there was the disappointing draw against Fulham, which I'd imagine Russ would have been quite happy about conceding in the last minute. Um, but we went to Wolves this week. It was almost a, you know, sort of a, a free game for us, really. No one expected us to win, and it was a chance to put in a good performance after surrendering the two-goal lead at Fulham. And you know, for the first half an hour, it's as good as I've seen us play all season. And I think what was not disappointing, because as I've said, sort of countless times on this show, we're a young side, we're still learning, and we've had a fantastic start to the season. We could have been, you know, two or three goals up sort of quite easily in that first half an hour and it's it's about learning to take those chances and you know better game management and I think Wolves highlighted that perfectly they rode out that pressure for the first half an hour or so and then grew into the game in the sort of the latter third of the first half and got the goal just before half time that completely changed Alex Neal's team talk and it sort of it goes back to the games that we've had against Birmingham and teams like that where we've played poorly first half granted we didn't play poorly against Wolves but you know, we've come in sort of on the the wrong end of the scoreline and then come out second half and have sort of blown teams away in the first 
sort of 20 minutes, but it was a bit of roles reversed. We found ourselves in the 63rd minute, 3-0 down and, you know, seemingly staring uh, a 4 or 5 nil defeat in the face. But what was quite impressive was the lads' heads didn't go down. We got it back to 3-2 through uh, a Jordan Hugill goal, which was fantastically taken, and then an own goal as well, where, again, Hugill was putting the pressure on the centre-back, forcing him to make the mistake. And you get it back to 3-2, the home fans start to get on the crowd's back, and you think, you know, maybe you can go on and get that third. But as has sort of been our problem this season, and I had a chat, sort of a a little plug here, uh, interviewed Colin Murray a few weeks ago, and he said the same thing. The discipline issue for us is, is, you know, becoming quite a concern now. We we had five yellow cards against Wolves and, you know, as we're getting back into the game and we really got them on the back foot going into the 90th minute, Alan Brown gets himself sent off and then there's, uh, you know, a bit of handbags on the pitch afterwards. And if we want to be, you know, coming back and getting the equaliser, we need to really keep our heads. We are, as I've said, a young team and, you know, they're eager to impress, but... Part of that impressing is knowing, you know, when to not rise to to opposition players. And I do think we're getting labelled now sort of quite unfairly because we're not sort of the dirtiest team in the division, but we are getting labelled as a dirty team. And, you know, it's it's easy to see why opposition fans can do that. There was um, quite a lot of, of Wolves fans on Twitter afterwards saying we're the, you know, we're just a long ball team. We're a team that comes, kicks sort of their players all over the park and in reality we're not that we're you know an exciting fast-paced team long balls very rarely it was sort of more desperation at the end after Alan Brown had got sent off that the long balls started coming out and and Paul Huntington went and played as a second striker but you know I think that discipline issue really needs to be addressed it was sort of a miracle really in a game where we had five bookings that Ben Pearson actually didn't get booked because until he came back from his injury, he'd had more yellow cards than games played because he'd had two in one game and uh, obviously got the red card. So he was going sort of quite at a rate this season. So he seems to have reeled it back a bit. But I think the rest of the team need to follow suit, really. You know, it makes it easy for the referee to give decisions against us when we are picking up as many bookings. And that's sort of the only real sort of main disappointment apart from conceding the two goals just after half time. I don't want to be too downbeat about it, though. You know, we've had a fantastic start to the season and it's it's better than I thought we would have done. The only sort of, uh, as well as the, the disciplinary issue is, as, uh, as Russ has mentioned with Fulham, us and Fulham both got six draws. I think Brentford are the team with the most draws in seven, or on seven this season. And it's about turning those draws into wins or if we are going to lose, you know, picking up a win the next week. We've only lost two games, but we find ourselves down in eighth place, which, you know, doesn't really tell the tale. I think we need to start trying to turn those draws into wins or going going off from the Wolves game a bit. But I think that's going to be sort of the real issue for Neil over the next few months, turning those draws into wins and doing it without, you know, this discipline problem that is starting to creep into our game. But I just wanted to ask you guys quickly, um, we'll start with you first on this, Russ. Obviously, sure. all our teams have lost this week, so it won't be easy to choose. But I just wanted to ask you quickly, who impressed for you this week and, and which players disappointed? Actually, the player that impressed me was David Button, the goalkeeper, because he came up big on a few occasions. Without him, uh, Fulham lose this uh, match by more than a few goals. So for for me, it was uh, Button. Uh who disappointed me, it, it goes back to just um, defensively as a unit because uh, 
not being able to handle this high press is, is really a weakness right now of Fulham. And until they do that, until they can handle teams that know how to play against them now, uh, it's going to be an uphill struggle. So for me, the weakness, the I wouldn't say one particular player. I would just say handling the the high press by Preston North End, first of all, and now again against Aston Villa. Um, well, obviously, the, the main one who disappointed, you, you know, you can't look any further than and, than Glenn Leuven's. And, and, you know, Leuven's is one not really for getting sent off and, and not making too many mistakes. But um, it was funny, actually, because I looked at Leuven's stats after the game and he had one touch, one pass, 100% pass accuracy, played four minutes and got one red card. So it was quite funny. Um, but yeah, got to look at obviously Leuven's got sent off, conceded a penalty, and like I said, that was that was game over. But impressed, uh, to be honest, I'd have to go for he's come back into the team and he's not played for quite a while now, a good few months. But Morgan Fox, um, I'm going to go for him simply because when the sending off occurred, Morgan Fox started the game at left back and he then fell in at centre-back, and I thought, to say he was out of position, I thought that he had quite a decent game, to be honest. Uh, Kieran Westwood made quite a lot of saves also, so I'll give him a mention. Uh, but like I said earlier, to, to say we went 86 minutes without you know, the 11 men, um, Wednesday, Wednesday actually played quite well and, and played some decent football, and like I said, the, re- the result was probably inevitable, but they actually got applauded off the field, so that was quite nice. In the, despite the result, if you like. So, yeah, I'll go with uh, Morgan Fox, who, in, who impressed most of all. Yeah, and just quickly to touch on Preston, I think the player that sort of disappointed, obviously, you can, you can say Alan Brown for the red card, but it was quite sort of late on in the game. I thought Josh Harrop had quite a poor game. He's sort of struggled for a few weeks, really, and I do think it's, it is his first, you know, Full season playing what you'd class as first team football. He's come from obviously the the under twenty ones and the reserves at Man United, and I do think it's going to take him time to adapt playing week in week out at sort of the intensity and the level of the Championship. I think it would do him good, you know, maybe to to drop to the bench for a couple of games, and then he'll be hungry to come back into the side and, and impress. And I think one player that definitely deserves a chance he's actually signed a new deal today coincidentally is Callum Robinson every time he's come on this season he's looked dangerous he got the winner in the last minute at Hull and I do think he uh, he deserves a chance now especially with Maguire picking up the injury against Fulham last week he's almost a like-for-like replacement and we we do look a little bit predictable sort of going forward without the pace and creativity of Maguire and I do think Robinson can can slot in and do that job um, as for people impressed, it's even though we conceded three goals, I've got to pick out, and I must sound like a broken record on this because every time we ask this question, it's, it's sort of more often than not him, and that's Josh Earl again. The young left backs come in this season; it's his first season playing first team football, coming for our youth academy, and he was probably our best player on the pitch on on Saturday. He looks like he's a seasoned pro, been playing you know sort of ten years, and he's he's in his prime. And I do think come January that we're going to, you know, even though he has just signed a new deal, face a real task of, of keeping hold of him. But I think that only speaks volumes about how well he's done and how quickly he's matured and, and developed into a first-team player for us. And it's going to be really difficult for, for Greg Cunningham when he's fit after Christmas to come back into the side if, if Josh Earl is sort of still with us. You know, I hope he is, but 
there's definitely a Premier League player that we've got on our hands here, and I do think if he carries on his performances, it'll it'll only be a matter of time before you know the the so-called bigger clubs in the division and the Premier League teams are uh, sniffing around him. Um, but I wanted to move on to the sort of the first main topic today, and it'll be interesting to to sort of get your opinions on it. Obviously, Sunderland and Birmingham both really struggling this season. Sunderland coming down from the Premier League and Birmingham having spent quite a bit of money in the summer. I just wanted to get both your guys' thoughts on sort of the main reasons why they're struggling, really. Is it down to players that they've brought in? Is it down to the managers? Obviously, Birmingham have sacked Harry Redknapp already. Or is there any other factors that are, you know, playing a part of this? Um, we'll start with you first on this one, Louis. Sort of, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's generally just a combination of everything you've just discussed. And, and I'm going to f- firstly start with the fact that the championship for me, and, and I'm sure you guys will agree, it's the toughest league in the world. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. To, to get out of anyway, to get promoted. And, you know, so, I mean, take Sunderland, for example. I think Sunderland are maybe one of those teams who have come down and have, have they underestimated everybody in this league? Because, you know, you look at 20 teams in this league and, well, at the minute, you can look at everyone apart from maybe Bolton, who even beat us. Um, but, yeah, you can look at everyone and any, anybody can beat anybody on the day. And, you know, as, as a Wednesday fan at the minute, it's crazy to think how I've just discussed how poor and, and disappointing we are at the minute and, and the football that we play. And, it has, you know, it hasn't been fantastic. And like I said, we've took five points from eight, a possible 18, but we're only five points off the playoffs. And that just proves the fact that everyone in this league is beating each other. Um, but, you know, Sunderland and Birmingham, uh, without the commitment from the players, the manager, you've got to have the infrastructure in this league that's as good as a Premier League club. Uh, like I said, you, you, you know, you, you've... <laughs> You've got to have the players to have that desire and, and dedication when, when they go out and, and play 90 minutes. And for me, Birmingham, you know, I, I think they're in a rebuilding process and I think it will take time and I think they will become a force again. Not necessarily this season, but by all means, but maybe, maybe next season and they'll keep spending money and, and they'll improve. But for me, I don't know if, you, again, you guys agree, but I, I think Sunderland are in a real mess and a real crisis. And and I'm, I just want to mention, obviously, Simon Grayson. I don't think he's the issue. I think, you know, like I've yeah. just mentioned, you've got, to, you've got to look at the infrastructure of the club, your chairman. Are your players willing to fight and go in a dogfight for you when you are at the bottom of the league? And, and I don't think Sunderland have the players to do that. Uh, I've, you know... They've lost all their experience when, obviously, Jermaine Defoe left the club. I mean, Defoe in this league, you know, it would have been absolutely fantastic. And to lose him, that was obviously, you know, heads have probably gone down since then. So, yeah, I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts. But for me, it's all about, <laughs> you know, confidence is a huge factor, factor, but it's a combination of lots of things. And I think such as Sunderland probably underestimated this league. Yeah, definitely. I think Sunderland have underestimated the league and sort of touching your point, Louis, I don't think Simon Grayson is the issue. I think what is evident at Sunderland is, as you said, they've lost their experience and their sort of leader in the dressing room in Defoe. And I think they've kept, and it will be a massive rebuilding job for Simon Grayson. And I do think he is probably one of the best at doing it. He did the same for us. And I think it's that mentality that's there at Sunderland at the moment. I think 
you know, most of the squad that is still there were used to getting sort of battered week in, week out in the Premier League. And I think as long as you got that sort of mentality and that sort of core around the squad, it's very difficult to shake off. Um, Definitely, Grayson yeah, sort of, for us was a was a fantastic sort of man manager. He got the best out of players, but I think you can only sort of go so far with that when you you have got not just one or two players that are sort of coming off a bad season. It is sort of the entire squad. You've got the fans each week, you know, expecting immediate success from him. And I do think sort of around the club, as you said, it is a bit of a mess, and it is going to take. Uh, I know I don't know probably three or four seasons for them to get back to sort of even been you know sort of a a team challenging to get back in the Premier League unless Mm. they you know really get it right in one season or two which you know I think is going to be really difficult for them and I think as daft as it sounds I think this season is all about sort of consolidating their place in the championship making sure they don't go down because at the moment they're in real danger of that and you know slowly rebuilding it's it's not going to be an overnight job it is going to take a few years and and I do think that, you know, Simon Grayson is, is one of the best at, at that. And I do think he is sort of be interested to know a Sunderland fan's opinion. But I do think he is the right man for the job. This is a very interesting discussion because I agree with most of the things that both of you guys are talking about. In regards to Sunderland, Birmingham is a little bit different for me. Let's start with Sunderland. Everything that Louis said is correct. They remind me of Fulham when Fulham got relegated they're going to have to do the rebuild like Fulham have, and it will take them a few seasons. I think that they completely underestimated how difficult this is going to be, and they could be dealing with a relegation battle like Fulham did. It it really is. I feel like I'm watching Fulham from several seasons ago, and they will figure it out, but it's just something that will take time, and it starts with the mentality coming down from the Premier League, it, it, it's like like looking at the same situation for me. I, I see Sunderland the same way. They do have a good manager. I'm glad that you guys are talking about this because I completely agree with you on Simon Grayson. He's not the problem. They need to get rid of all the deadwood, rebuild that team, and bring it back up, but it's going to take a while. In regards to Birmingham, I have a completely different take on this. I think it comes down to managerial decisions that have caused their issues. I think they started their downfall with getting rid of Gary Rowett. That was last season. And then they brought in this season, obviously, uh, at the end of last season, you have the situation with uh, with Harry Redknapp. You bring him in, and uh, they bring in all these players. But, I, I, again, I just don't think Harry Redknapp was the right fit. And in between that, you had, had Zola. I, you have not, that team has not been able to find the right manager. And until they do, they won't get back to where they should be because I thought they were a team on the rise under Rowett. And they got rid of them and everything changed. So for me, their downfall begins with sacking Gary Rowett last season. Yeah, I think definitely getting rid of Gary Rowett and, you know, bringing in Zola and then Harry Redknapp. I do think definitely there's questions to be asked sort of higher up at Birmingham. And it kind of leads us quite nicely, actually, onto. Oh, I didn't plan it this way, but it leads us quite nicely onto the next point, and that's the sort of. Well, I say imminent. It's been going on for about a month now. The takeover at Barnsley. Um, yeah. Paul Heckingbottom has been quite vocal this week about how he's sort of bored and quite annoyed at the whole saga. It's sort of detracting from the team on on field, and you know you can't argue with him there. They've had one win in about a month and a half. And it does look to be distracting the team. Um, both of your teams sort of in recent times have, 
have been taken over by sort of foreign investors. So I was quite eager to get your points of view on this because Preston, we've had the same chairman in place for years now, local guy, and he, he sort of loves the club. I wanted to get your opinion firstly on sort of the Barnsley takeover and how you think it'll affect them. And secondly, sort of your experiences really of, of your team's been taken over and and what sort of Barnsley fans can expect really. Um, I'll start with you first on this, Russ. Yeah, floor is yours. Yeah, listen, it's it's a very interesting situation with Barnsley. Uh, they're bringing in, uh, I, I guess you could say, an ownership team of uh, three people that have uh, experience with football clubs, which is good. And I think that's a positive to look at. Everyone's going to point at Billy Bean and, uh, and Moneyball. Okay, that is something that you're going to have to look at because I'm just going to assume if he is part of this ownership group that you're going to see possibly a Moneyball style ownership, which is great not the film, worst. Great thing. film, by the way. It was great. It, it's a wonderful film, <laughs> honestly. Um, but what's interesting is that, and I found this out with Fulham, and, and this will help me talk a little bit about Fulham, is that when you bring statistics into football to, say, a club that isn't used to it being a, a decent part of what you do, there is, you know, there is this issue. There is this issue of getting used to doing business in a different way. And I have a feeling, like I said, this is just my, my feeling. I don't know how this is all going to work out, that their their model is going to change of how they do business, how they how they build a football team, and that will be an adjustment. It doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. The good thing that they have going for them is the experience that these three guys have with football. And that's going to lead me to talk about Fulham because one of the issues Fulham had – was when they when they went to when Shah Khan took over from Mohammed Al Fayed. Mohammed Al Fayed, you know, is a hero with with Fulham supporters because he brought them to the Premier League, brought them from 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 the deep end of uh, of English football, brought them all the way to to the Premier League, and we thrived for several seasons. And then, you know, and then he wanted to sell, and unfortunately, when he decided to sell. He wasn't investing, and uh, Fulham became a very old team, not overnight. It was slowly building to become an old team, and Shah Khan bought a team that really was not probably what he thought it was going to be because it was an older, experienced club, but it needed to turn over. It needed to get younger, and uh, so when he came in, he had no experience, honestly, and that... I think was a, a factor in Fulham's downfall to going into relegation because they had an owner who came into, I believe, a mess and uh, did not know what he was getting himself into. And over the course of three or four seasons, he has changed how Fulham do business. They've invested, um, but you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you here. I, I I would say Fulham supporters over the course of the years have been split because it's a it's a different style of management. Statistics are now involved. His son is involved. Tony Khan is uh, the uh, vice president of uh, football operations. And um, what they're doing right now is extremely different. They are marrying statistics and, and traditional scouting. It's called the both boxes check system when they, when they um, purchase a player, when they buy a player. Um, both sides have to agree, and, and that's also caused, I believe, some of the issues with, with Savicio Kanovic is because there might 
be players that he wants in, but if they don't have both boxes checked by statistics and scouting, they don't come to fold. So it's an interesting situation. It's funny because when I think of an owner, uh, the most important thing for me is will the owner spend money? And in the case of Shai Khan, he spent money. He has spent a lot of money. The problem with, with Shai Khan's ownership has been how have they spent the money? And uh, it's gotten better over, over the years. But, but um, I think the big factor for me with, uh, with ownership is I think they need to have some experience in football. If you don't, I think that's, that's a setback. And I think that was a factor with Fulham uh, starting so slow in his regime because obviously we got relegated. And I think him not having any experience dealing with a football club hurt. Yeah, well, you've made some good points there, Russ, to be honest. I mean, I'll obviously start with Barnsley, but I like the fact that you mentioned when, obviously, a new owner does come in, are they going to spend money? And I think, obviously, at Barnsley, this, you know, ev- everybody wants a chairman who's who's a billionaire, and that's right. what every, everybody in, you know, from League 2 upwards, if you like, right up to, you know, the, the Premier League even, is that everybody wants a billionaire owner. Now, it's like you said, They'll come in with a new model um, and they'll invest money. But what a team like Barnsley, what, what is their long-term goal? I mean, obviously, you'd expect that they want to reach the Premier League. But by reaching that goal, are they going to be spending money and wanting a return of investment also? Because, as you all know, different owners work in different ways and it's quite intriguing and it's interesting to hear the fans have their you know, input on that because until two, three, four years pass, you don't know whether this chairman who's taking over your football club that you love, if they are going to be good for the club or not. And only time will tell that. And I think that's the big question mark over Barnsley because some chairmans come in and they can destroy a club. They can obviously invest in a club. And I'll come on to obviously Sheffield Wednesday in a moment without much return which is obviously what's happening at Sheffield Wednesday at the moment and then other chairmans come in and they run it like a business where they although they'll go out and spend money they also expect to return also so yeah it's it's very very interesting because I think you can't obviously put all your eggs in one basket basket when when you're discussing chairmans because they all have these crazy ideas and you know like like Russ has already mentioned um, but in terms of Sheffield Wednesday, I mean, obviously, Chan Siri's been in charge at Sheffield Wednesday now about uh, 28 months, 29 months, I believe. And, you know, this is a conversation I could I could talk all day about. Um, so so where do I start? I mean, to keep it brief, obviously, Chan Siri's and he's, he's spent loads and loads of money. And I don't just mean, obviously, on players. I mean, on the ground, the facilities, the training facilities, you know, even like the the the, the, the large TV and, and, and on the ground, and you know the, the turf, and obviously the wages come under that. And you know, fi- financial fair play is is an issue at Sheffield Wednesday. But you know, I take my hat off to Chancery because all I can do is is praise him because obviously Mandarich came into Sheffield Wednesday and steadied a ship, and he did really well. And you know, I applaud him for that and Chan Siri's come in, and up to now, so far, so good in terms of putting his hand in his pocket. However, the question mark is, 
even though it's still early days, I hope and believe, but where does his journey end? Because although he's come in and put his hand in his pocket, he has got a very poor not footballing brain, if you like. He doesn't have much footballing knowledge in terms of, you know, dealing with agents, dealing with managers. It's 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 all new to him as he's as he is new to us as fans as well. So it's you know it's it's difficult to express my feelings on that also, even though like I say, he deserves as much praise as possible for what he's done over this last twenty eight, twenty nine months. But the guy like I say, take my heart off to him. He puts his head and heart into Sheffield Wednesday. The football club comes first, but he has also made mistakes along the way. And he he admits that. So again, you know, I, I take my heart off to him because he, he admits those mistakes. But where does, like I said, where does the journey end with Chan Siri? Does, you know, if we are two, three, four years down the line and we've still not progressed and got promoted, does he just simply put the club up again for sale? Or even if he does get promoted, does he put the club up for sale and then obviously, like as I said, get a return of investment and he's, he's, he's got, he made a profit? I don't know. And and that's the question, the big question mark with all chairmen, I believe. Yeah, I think you've perfectly sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of sort of the Barnsley takeover there. And I think what's interesting sort of listening to, to both of your points as a Preston fan is the fact that, you know, we even though our chairman is quite wealthy and and he steadied the ship for us when about 10 years ago we were in a real mess, we were sort of hit with a winding up petition and, you know, we can never thank him enough uh, for putting his hand in his pocket and getting us out of that mess. He He's very sensible with his money, you know, he won't go, and it's quite evident by our, our club record transfer is still David Healy from about 15 years ago for £1 million. He, he won't go splashing the cash unnecessarily and, uh, you know, you can say what you like about that, but it seems to be working at the moment where we've got a model in place, which if, you know, sort of an investor did come in sort of in regards to was he, he'd completely rip that up. And what's working for us at the moment is buying these young hungry players, getting them in with sort of a good sell on value on them and, uh, same as sort of, I could I could reel off about seven or eight names now, but I won't bore you with it. Players that are coming in for us, doing a job because they're young, hungry, looking to impress. Players that have come over from the League of Ireland or not had a chance at Premier League clubs. And what we're saying to them is, you know, you come in, play as well as you can do, and and prove why that you you should have stayed at those Premier League clubs and been given a chance in the first team. And we're really seeing the rewards from that at the moment we've got a good youth academy which is producing as well and a you know as as much as you you want like a man city story to happen to you there's always that air of caution there's you know been horror tales over the years um of, of people coming in you sort of only have to really look at sort of how daft the aston villa chairman is and some of the stuff he comes out with or to sort of drop down a league or to look at what's happened at leighton orient um you know, there are the horror stories there and you have to be careful what you wish for sometimes. It, it may seem like a takeover is, you know, your ticket to the Premier League and, and European football, but, you know, that's not necessarily always the case. So at the moment with Preston, you know, I'm, I'm content with where we are. Sure, it'd be nice to get to the Premier League, but I do think if if we carry on sort of the way we are doing and, you know, we touched on this over countless weeks on the podcast, there's no clear runaway team sort of taking the division by storm so far this season. You know, Wolves... James, uh, can I ABD. ask you about Wolves? 
Can I ask you about Wolves? Because because you've now back-to-back weeks. I'm curious, compared to my club, if you could just talk a little bit about Wolves, because Fulham have not played Wolves. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what was interesting with sort of when we played Fulham and and the Wolves game, and at the start of the season, I wouldn't have said he'd make that much of a difference that immediately. The Wolves game, we set out exactly the same as we started at Fulham. You know, we, we hit them on the attack early on and, and looked to, to get a foothold in the game. And I think, especially in the Fulham game, I think, and sort of it'd be interesting to talk to you. I did sort of chat to you after the game. Um, but I think the Sean Maguire injury for us was the real turning point in that in that Fulham game, especially. When he came off, we, and sort of it was the same against Wolves, we, we looked okay going forward, but we lacked that real sort of cutting edge and creativity. Um, the thing with Wolves at the weekend was, you know, we, we paid for not taking them chances and, you know, their quality, which, you know, they've got plenty of, really shone through in the end. Bonatini got to says looked great in the middle of the park, same with Neves, and, you know, that's what you pay your money for. And we, we touched on the Wolves' ownership last week on the podcast, and I do think there is sort of questions to be asked there, but... If he's bringing in these talented players, I do think it's a matter of time before they get out of this division and, and do go up to the Premier League. Um, but in terms of sort of play style, I think the game the game for us at Wolves, as daft as it sounds because we've lost, it was there for us to win. And it was quite frustrating sort of to, to be on top as long as we were in the first half and, and give that silly goal away just before half-time. But... I do think, you know, Wolves, everyone's sort of making them out that they are going to run away with it now. And I I don't really see that as the case. I think they are a good team, don't get me wrong. But, you know, as as we've said with every team in this division, anyone can beat anyone. And it's, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see if they can put a run together. But by far, sort of... Uh, hearing what Wolves fans have said, you know, they said we gave them the best game that they've had all season at, at Molyneux. And, well, that's good. So I do think that Wolves are there for the taking, and I think teams need to be careful not to, as, as daft as it sounds because they are at the table, go there with a fear factor, same as what we've done, really. Um, you know, have a go at them, and they are they are there for the taking. Um, I, I don't think they'll run away with it, and it'll yeah. be interesting to see, obviously, when you play them. Yeah, that's you why... you get Kearney back. Right, that's why I wanted to ask you, because you, you just said the thing that I think is uh, to Fulham's advantage when they do go to Manu, which is in, in a few weeks' time they're not going to be afraid to go and play. And uh, they're not going to go there to sit back. They're going to go there to attack. So it could be a very interesting game of football. That's why I'm looking forward to it. And that's why I thought going into it, that's why I wanted to ask you. Yeah, definitely. I think if you do go there with the same sort of mentality that we do, and I do think you sort of have that sort of that bit of experience in this division that we perhaps were lacking. I do think if you go there and play the same way we did, there's no reason why you can't get a result. And it'll be interesting to see when they start or when they play against sort of teams who will go out and attack them from the first whistle and not yep. necessarily show them respect sort of how they do then. Um, yeah. But sort of now I'll just move quickly sort of to finish up on uh, sort of previewing games for next week. Obviously we'll start with you first on this for us. You've got a home okay. game against Bolton. Bolton, you know, they even though they've had a, a few sort of alright results recently, they are at the foot of the table. And is it a game that you're expecting to win? And, and what would be your score prediction for the game? It is a game we're expecting to win. But uh, as Louis has already said, you know, listen, Bolton can can win. So that you know, uh, we're all expecting to win. But I've learned in this division that they, they, you can't be that naive. 
to think that anyone can beat you. Listen, we lost to Burton Albion, so it's not it's not too different. It, it can happen. But um, I'm expecting Fulham to win because uh, that last loss, I think, is going to be a huge motivator for them to get things right at Craven Cottage. So I'm going to go with a 3-1 to one Fulham victory. Yeah, and the same to you, Louis. Obviously, you've uh, you've got Barnsley, who we've just touched on there. Not in the best of form at the moment, sort of both teams, really. Um, how do you yeah. see the game going? Uh, well, obviously, it's a South Yorkshire derby, and you know what happened in the last one. Uh, we beat Leeds, but we got hammered by Sheffield United. So, you know, it's like Russ said. We're, we're at home, so we've, you know, expecting to win, or should be winning. And most of all, we've got to win. We've simply got to start picking up three points, especially at home. And then I believe we've got Fulham at home the game after Barnsley. Uh, but, you know, like, like again, like what Russ said, you, you can't be naive. You've got to go and go out there, prove a point. Um, I just hope that, you know, we kind of go all guns blazing from the off and don't go in nil-nil at half-time and, and, you know, or, or even one-nil down because that's been happening a lot. Uh, but Tom Bradshaw's been playing quite well for Barnsley. I think he's scored four goals this season. So, you know, we're going to have to keep a watchful eye on him, if you like. Um, but I'm just hoping the home advantage should see us through and we've simply just got to be beating teams like Barnsley, who in inverted commas, inverted commas are, you know, the weaker teams in, in, in this division. So my prediction is that Wednesday will win 2-1, but like I said, I, I don't care how it comes as long as we win. We've just simply got to start winning. Yeah, and we have a home game against Brentford. It's uh, Preston North End with six draws so far this season, going against Brentford with seven. So I think... <laughs> That tells you everything about how I expect the game to go. Let's um, hope someone obviously. wins. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got to change sometime, Let's hope you win, it? I mean. I, um, well, I'd definitely take the win. You know, we need to get back <laughs> to winning ways after, obviously, the draw at Fulham, giving it away in the, the 96th minute, and then, obviously, the defeat at Wolves. The top of the table's that tight at the moment that I think a win could send us from eighth to about fourth. So, you know, win your home games, get sort of points here and there away, and you'll you'll be right up there. So, I think... Definitely, we need to win the game. They're sort of struggling a bit at the moment to turn these draws into wins, and we should have Sean Maguire back, and we should really be sort of, apart from the two long-term injuries, be at full strength. So there's no reason why we can't win the game, even though, you know, a draw wouldn't surprise me. But if I had to go for a score prediction, I'd say 2 or 3-1 to us, um, and, you know, sort of climb back up into the sort of the higher half of the players where we have been over the last few weeks. Um, but with that, we're out of time. Cheers for joining me today, guys. If you two wanted to let people know where they can find you or any projects that you're involved in, now would be a good time. Okay, great. Well, you can uh, listen to uh, Cottage Talk on Apple Podcasts and also on blogtalkradio.com slash Cottage Talk. Those are some good ways to listen to it. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and also at the Twitter account for Cottage Talk, simply Cottage Talk. Yeah, my name's Louis Shackshaft. Obviously, I've been discussing Sheffield Wednesday on the podcast. Uh, you can catch all my work, which is, you know, articles, blogging, interviews, uh, Sheffield Wednesday stats um, on my website. Um, and they can all, all be found on my Twitter handle, which is at Louis Shackshaft. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at underscore James Vickers. I write for a Preston North End fan blog, which is at Deepdale Digest, um, as well. 
FPL index last week, I interviewed the host of the Football League highlight show, Colin Murray. Uh, that's pinned to the top of my Twitter and also on the EPL index Twitter page, so definitely check that out. Um, and I just wanted to quickly give a sort of a little plug to a charity that my mate set up. Um, it's for sort of taking donations in around Lancashire. So if anyone is listening sort of around Lancashire, definitely check it out. It's a... Um, a charity where you can donate dresses that you may have in sort of your loft or in your wardrobe that you may not necessarily wear anymore. And they're going to sort of rent them out free of charge to girls around Lancashire who can't afford prom dresses or, or, you know, anything like that. So it's a great charity. And if you don't have anything leaving about, get in touch with me on Twitter or I'll, uh, I'll post the link on my Twitter as well. So, so definitely get in touch with that. It's a great charity and, uh, you know, check it out. But yeah, as I said, we're out of time. So cheers for joining me today, guys, and we'll see you next time.